0: This is Mind Your Mornings with Anna Chandy, a fortnightly podcast that takes you on the journey to a brave new you. Hi, everyone. It's good to be back to Mind Your Mornings with me, Anna Chandy, your host. As promised, we are now starting a new season and we hope you find it enjoyable and enriching. If you have any themes that you would like us to cover or any feedback, do feel free to get back to us this season. I'm going to talk a little about what some of us go through common yet uncommon depression, anxiety, panic attacks. These words were not always said out loud. The carriers of these intangible feelings were usually categorized in one of two ways bad, crazy, someone who has no control over themselves. They ended up being. The outcasts isolated. The others fit into the notion of it's just a phase, you will get over it. They were told they needed to see the brighter side. That's it. If you felt something you could not explain, you belong to one of these two categories because we fear what we don't understand. We want familiarity, we want to believe we are normal. From then to now, So much has changed. Mental health features in this year's budget. It is addressed in schools. We even have sessions for corporate employees. Mental health has finally emerged from the dark, musty corners. It is visible and can no longer be ignored. But although mental health is seen, it is still unknown to many. External perception is just one battle. The other is social conditioning. Too many people fight with themselves trying desperately to believe that they are strong enough to handle it, that they may be overreacting. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe they have not tried enough. They were never overreacting. It is not a phase and it wasn't the lack of trying. In this season of Mind Your Mornings, we will unpack mental health from within. People just like you and me will recount their journeys as therapists, as clients, as facilitators, and as caregivers. The last decade was about bringing mental health to light. This decade should be dedicated to uncloaking the so-called monster. So let's take a peek into that conversation from a closed room. Let's explore some forms of the shape shifter. From then to now, we have come a long, long way, and we have a path ahead of us to cover. In this conversation, I will be talking about, along with Brian. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a brand new season of Mind Your Mornings. In this series, we will be looking at mental health from within. A new wave of awareness is here, and with it, a lot more, more questions. With the support of the team at Anna Chandian Associates and our gracious clients, we decided to uncover some of the mysteries that plague mental health. So together, let's explore various perspectives from people who have experienced therapy, from caregivers, and from therapists themselves. Perspectives from a decade ago to now, and from Gen X to Gen Z. Hello,
1: I'm Brian, your host for this season. I have a keen interest in mental health and work closely with the team at Anna Chandy and Associates in a communications role. I'm delighted to invite our first guest for the season. This is definitely as ironic as it gets because our guest today is Anna herself. With nearly three decades of experience, she has seen the journey of mental health closely. In fact, she has spearheaded the conversation, chipping away at the shame that is associated with mental illness. So let's understand the past, the present, and future of mental health from the lens of Anna Chandy. Hello, Anna. Welcome to the show. What does it feel to be an interview on your own show?
0: I think for me, it's a time... To celebrate because having been in this uh, domain for 30 years I never ever ever dreamt that a time would come where would we would not only have these kind of recordings but we would have individuals who are no more ashamed to share their story
1: right so so you've been a therapist for uh, nearly three decades like you said and you've seen the profession and the perceptions evolve uh, what was the impression of counseling when you started your journey and uh, What were some of the reactions from your family when you chose to pursue therapy as a career?
0: I think the first was that uh, from my family, when I chose to do counselling, because they didn't understand what counselling is, that the first thing and the term they said is, you're crazy. Uh, The second part is they said, what is it that you go on listening to people and why would you listen? But the public had a different understanding. They associated counselling with what they've seen in movies or read uh, counselling uh, is psychoanalysis. So if I went for a social get-together, uh, strangers would be wary and scared because they believed that psychoanalysts can just look at them and uh, read what's going on within them. And so it was very frightening. And so in a social setting, people would avoid chatting with them. And today, I think the, the tables have churn- turned completely. Because when I go even into a social setting, in hardly a few seconds, I have strangers coming and uh, being very warm. And some of them also immediately starting to share their vulnerabilities because they seem to feel a sense of psychological safety. Um, So for me, I think uh, where I was three years ago and where I am uh, today professionally, I think uh, counseling has been accepted. Uh, Especially the younger generation, the Gen X and the Gen Z, uh, they're very authentic about their issues and they're very fairly open. So I think for me, this huge shift is really, again, yet another celebration.
1: That's great. Yeah, that's a good segue to the next question. You uh, do conduct TA classes yourself and I've seen the next generation coming to you. Uh, Do you think they see therapy differently?
0: I think so. I think uh they see therapy differently from again two perspectives um in when i when we started till at least about ten year ten years ago, so I'm saying for about twenty years of my profession um counseling and therapy was seen as a helping profession uh and while they called it a profession, it was not professionalized. I see this the last decade more and more you know little little elements of professionalism coming uh whether it is uh, about people adding skills, ongoing, continuous comp- uh, learning uh, with regard to their competence. People also inquiring about what really it means professionally to become a counselor or a therapist. And I also see another change. Uh, Twenty years ago, people seeking uh, free volunteer counseling. There were, you know, they never questioned it. Now you see the younger generation saying no, I don't want free services. I would rather pay because somewhere they associate free services with lack of uh, qualification. So I see these shifts and I think that's to me again going to be a long journey where um, you know uh, counseling and therapy will be part of um, regular professional uh, uh, domains.
1: Right, right, yeah. Uh, now now therapy um, seems to have a disproportionate number of women uh, do you think this is because of the traditional notion of counselors being uh, within courts nurturing and hence a women's role uh, you know nurse nursing is another profession that carries this bias or this perception and and what can be done to attract more more men uh, to be to, ther-
0: to be therapists I think first is uh, this is a global issue that Uh, counseling, therapy, and even nursing was primarily assigned to women. And I think it was assigned to women because it's the words you associate with it is helping, caregiving, and therefore, you know, uh, the nurturing aspect of the female gender is what they believed in. Um, I think while that's a global issue, I think it's more uh, obvious in our country uh, it's almost like if an indian man is a therapist or a nurse he's he's losing an aspect of his macho side he's you know using his softer side to be professional um so i think we need to change that because i think there are they not assign empathy and caregiving only to women i think men also have the capacity all over the world the other part that i think is important is the question was whether it is therapy or nursing, whether it is a profession that is okay or assigned professionally, viable, commercially for predominantly male care, man of the house kind of thing. I think in today's scenario and in future scenarios where there is not going to be this divide about who's the man of the house and the woman of the house, both people are going to be working and there's equity and equality. I think we need to encourage more and more uh, male uh, people to come and be uh, whether they're becoming therapists or counselors or nursing basically to harness their softer side and use it for the betterment of the larger society
1: right now Anna you've played and continue to play multiple roles in this profession Uh, there's Anna the therapist there's the caregiver the client In fact, I'm sure many people will find it shocking to know that you go for therapy as well. Maybe they are unable to see you as a vulnerable person. Now, who is Anna, the client, and what is she like?
0: I think Anna, the client, is as vulnerable as anybody else. For example, when Anna, the the person, even today, is nervous before I address an audience. I've addressed so many audiences. I still feel butterflies in my stomach. I still feel anxious. Anna, the uh, therapist who the world sees as successful, gets overwhelmed when I'm speaking to high achievers because I grew up in a home where I was labeled the daft child. And today, for the daft child to be a success, you know, the old label does surface. So what you what we call in psychological lang- um, language, I also suffer from imposter syndrome. I go for therapy for that. I still have the issue about, you know, dysfunctionality when and I, I feel that pang in my heart when I hear children talking about their struggles in a home because it reminds me of my own, uh, my own story. And then I have to tell everybody very honestly, the old me who was this perfect homemaker, housewife, doing the right things, That still, I still see elements of that. And that shows up when I'm calling, say, a few people home. It's amazing how unconsciously, automatically I move into that role and I want everything pretty and I want everything laid out. And then therapy is now helping me understand that in this need to be perfect and become so anxious that do I lose the essence of the enjoyment of having people over. So while the world sees me as successful and put together i also have these issues and i do take it to therapy and uh, i also have a tendency to become overprotective of my children or now even my grandson because i have this fantasy in my head of what a perfect parent should be or a perfect grandparent so i need a therapy to help me caution that for example that my grandson is my grandson my only role is to love him i can't start managing his life or my daughters have their own nest to build. And they need to build their nest however they wish. Again, I can't start managing it. So I think therapy helps me in these areas. And I think many people will not believe, but I go through these difficult times. Last year was an extremely difficult time. And I truly believe that I suffered from post-traumatic symptoms of, I may not have had the whole disorder in totality but i had symptoms of ptsd which is post traumatic stress disorder i was anxious i was weeping sleepless nights right. etc so so i am as human as any of you
1: right yeah you talked a little bit about perfection in your in your response there and uh, you know you talked about being the perfect hostess the one who's always uh, smiling You're, now your decision to go for counseling how was that perceived you know by your family what did your parents your friends and your husband make of it
0: i think in the early days when i went for counseling the fa- family uh, thought i was crazy and nuts and because i was a vp child and a vp adult because of my anxiety and my stress everybody else around me seemed to be she seemed to be had been together because i come from a family where um, aggression is the norm aggression symbolizes that you're in charge of life. You just attack anybody. Uh, so I was also considered the VP the one. So they thought, okay, this one is not at all put together. So she definitely needs therapy. And I was the crazy one. That has changed. That needle has moved. Because in our house, going for therapy or counseling is part of our hygiene factor. Just like our physical hygiene is part of our mental hygiene factor. So um, now it's very normal and anybody who's associated with our family, whether they're close friends or close relatives, I think this normalization has been extended to them. So I'm very proud when I see my nieces and nephews encouraging other people to go for therapy or close friends of ours saying, you know, we've told somebody that they need help. So I think that for me has been a huge shift.
1: Got it. Yeah. And what are the other differences do you see in today's client? Does it differ by age or uh, life stage or uh, economic circumstance?
0: I think the stories of the issues remain same. They are, the stories haven't changed. The narratives haven't changed, whether it's uh, social issues like child sexual abuse, violence, aggression or depression, anxiety. So the stories are the same. I think what has changed in the last five years, particularly, we see a huge uh, number of people between the ages of above 20 to 35, just reaching out openly and saying, I need support. The next change I see is, and to me, that's very powerful and touching. I see these youngsters saying, we are in therapy, but we also think our parents need help. And they psychoeducate their parents at home and get their parents for help. I have to tell you one touching story. Young girl, she was coming to therapy, and her 80-year-old grandmother saw the change and asked if she can go for therapy because she just saw this grandchild kind of emerging from her own shadows. To me, for an 80-year-old to be so open and say, there is something going on there in those sessions. My granddaughter has emerged from her shadows so I would like to uh, go for therapy, I thought that was very powerful. Um, So the stories remain the same. And now, during COVID and post COVID, uh, we have a lot of parents reaching out saying their young children, that's their adolescents between 14 and 16, are reaching out to their parents and saying, I need support. And I don't want to share with you, this is not something that parent can uh, help me, I need professional support. So I think, it seems to be like the younger and younger generation, there's a flow that's happening where people are openly saying, I need support.
1: Right. And do you, do you see that the younger ones decide much faster and the older ones might take longer to make the decision?
0: I think so. I think the younger ones are more flexible and open to say, this is something that I need to work through. I think the older ones, and especially those who are above, 40 and 50 60 in the age group of 40, 50, 60. They still are very predominantly governed by what society would think. Mm. Uh, I see that huge change. Uh, the younger generations, less than 40, they're saying, okay, there is an issue here. And irrespective of what society thinks, I need to get help. The older generations are still governed by uh, societal impressions and societal norms. So I see that big difference.
1: Got it. And speaking as Anna, the client, uh, do you think therapy is most effective in a burst, or do you see it as a lifelong process? Because I've heard people want to go for therapy to resolve a certain issue and then they are done. And some believe that uh, therapy can be addictive. What are your views here?
0: I think it's a lifelong process. Yes, you can have the option of going every time there is a pressing issue and you resolve it, then you take a break and go back. But... I come from a space that I believe just like I go for exercise thrice a week or I I do my yoga twice a week. I think I believe that therapy is cleansing of the mind. And I think therapy contributes to the physicality of our life. What do I mean by that? Like when you do physical uh, exercise, yes, your muscles uh, get toned, your muscles are active. But what we are forgetting is muscles have cell memory of issues and therapy then enables the muscles to be free of those issues so I believe that therapy cannot be done in isolation it is a combination of working with mind body and spirit for me spirit I talk is again I believe that you cannot only work with the the body and the mind you also need to work with this spiritual aspect or the soul of what a person and to me i think all three are very interrelated because right. your body houses your soul
1: correct yeah and and then there are the other myths that um, there are no traumatic events in my life so therefore i don't need therapy so what 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 would be your response to
0: uh, a perception like this? um i don't think again i think trauma we associate trauma with either a natural disaster like a, a um, like a, a tsunami or an earthquake. Yeah, that's a that trauma of an event. But we also have, then we have, you know, what we call very impactful traumas, which is whether it's some form of violence or something. What we are forgetting is every day that we live, we have day-to-day traumas. And our brain doesn't have the capacity to say, this is a natural disaster trauma this is a violence trauma this is a day to day trauma so I think when a person says that they are completely trauma free I think maybe they've not understood the meaning of trauma okay uh, therefore I don't think we need to go for therapy because we have some impactful issue we need to go for therapy to as I said for mental hygiene uh, like cleaning the cupboard and throwing away the old clothes that no more fit or cleaning uh, cobwebs from corners, that's what therapy is about.
1: Right. And I think um, a couple of other myths are that uh, if I go to therapy, I'm weak. And the second uh, thing that I can think of here is that the privileged don't experience mental health issues. If you could uh, respond to those two myths as well.
0: I think, first of all, uh, we need to change the meaning of being weak. Being vulnerable is weak. Because the core of every human spirit is, is vulnerability. And if you have the capacity to embrace your vulnerability, it comes as a strength. So I think I will debunk that myth. I don't believe in it. While being vulnerable is a strength because you need to be able to say, I am vulnerable and therefore I'm human. When you say I'm not vulnerable, it's, yeah, to me you're saying I'm not human. Right. And then so for me, that's a huge question. Now, the second is the privilege. The privilege may not have issues of privilege, whether it's monetary privilege, social privileges in our country, whether it can be whether you belong to a particular caste system or a social strata, you, you have privileges there. But the issues may not be from because of privilege or they can be because of privilege. For example, if I come from an extremely wealthy home, at one level, it's a privilege, but at another level, it also goes against me because I don't know how another strata of society live, and yet I have to live with them. So I have coping issues. This you see in schools. Another thing is that illness doesn't come to us, mental illness doesn't have a filter to say, This is a privileged person, so I will not be depressed. Right. Mental illness can hit anybody. Panic attacks can hit anybody. It has no caste system. It has no privileged systems. It has no barriers. These, are, these happen. The other part is, yes, we do have impact of, say, social issues. If there's poverty, it hits us. Similarly, if being rich, it hits us. And I think, therefore, we need to know that we cannot categorize and classify that people's emotional distress, or mental health issues are because of the segment they belong to. Stressors have no barriers. Stressors have no boundaries. If we remember that, then we know that it can happen to anybody. The way the stressor shows up may be differently.
1: Got it. Yeah. And um, then, uh, I mean, just focus upon the last myth uh, that's, that's on my list here is that the therapy is about crying and venting. People still believe this after all these years. And, and they don't know that it's about sharing insights and growing in a safe place. So if you could speak a little to that myth.
0: If I'm sad, i cry. Therapy is about expressing a safe space to express all the feelings, my fears, my anxieties, my happiness and my, my, and my joys and my anger. Therapy is actually about illuminating and enlightening conversations. In therapy, we deal with feelings. We we deal with the body issues, body issues in terms of what our body is talking to us about. We talk about metaphors. Uh, Basically, therapy is a safe space to engage in what I feel I need to talk about. And it is also a space to where I have a mirror that is safe. And therapy is also a space where I can embrace my shadows, which I may want to disown, but it provides me the strength and the skills to become whole. So I don't think therapy is only about crying. Yes, sometimes I even cry out of joy to celebrate. So I, I think these are stories or myths that people have just, you know, kind of circulated and uh, perpetuated all over the world. Right.
1: That's great, Anna. That's very useful. And and where do you see the journey from here as a therapist, as a client? uh, What more do you think needs to be done to bring this conversation from from the closet to the living room?
0: For me, uh, I think that journey is where, as I said, I would like counseling and therapy to be discussed in every living room. With um, as a conversation. People having the capacity to become who they are truly meant to be that is to maximize their potential and I think for me uh, if therapy would be included in mainstream conversation and not as something that is being addressed because of a lack of it. I think for me it's about that. For example, while I'm very happy that we spoke about mental health in the budget, I'm happy because that's a step. But next time, it sh- it doesn't have to be something special. It needs to be about a budget where mental health is accounted for just like other areas are accounted for.
1: Right. And finally, to conclude, what is the one piece of advice you have for people who are struggling with themselves?
0: To be not ashamed of themselves and take professional support and to also believe that when they take professional support, they will have the capacity to harness their own resources. They're not going to get advice to how to live. They can live how they choose to live.
1: That's great. Thank you, Anna. That's great advice. That uh, brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, Join me for the next episode of Mind Your Mornings, where people will recount their journey as therapists, as clients, as facilitators, and as caregivers. Thank you.
0: This is Mind Your Mornings with Anna Chandi, a fortnightly podcast that takes you on the journey to a brave new you.